Metal Memories. We are your hosts. I am Brian. And I'm Aaron. We're at Hair Metal Memories Iowa at gmail.com if you want to reach out to us or check it. You can message us on our Facebook page. Uh, our last episode, the Warren episode, got a lot of good responses and from people. And thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Not what we, you know, <laughs> even more so than some of the like big ones that I thought would have yeah. been even, you know, even bigger. So, hey, thanks. That's. Yeah, that's awesome. We yeah. appreciate it. And and Warren has some uh, some great fans out there. Hell yes, they do. Yeah, uh, we also sent out a bunch of stickers. Uh, as a result, a bunch of people like said, "Yeah, I want some stickers." We're actually getting kind of low on stickers. <laughs> so wow, that's so, been a minute. Yeah, so there's so there's not many left. Uh, so if you want a sticker and you've been holding out, you probably better get it into us. And, and I may and still so, have a stack yeah. at home too. I need to look. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe they're maybe they're not as limited as what I thought. <laughs> but but thanks for listening and reaching out to us. Um, I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, thanks to and I, I hope I don't massacre the name. I'm sorry if I do. Uh, Andre Secor for uh, leaving us a really sweet voicemail on that was cool as on, hell on Anchor. Um, we didn't even know you could do that. Nope, no idea. <laughs> didn't even know that was a feature. So, yeah. wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks, Andre. Uh, he had some great suggestions for our list, uh, many of which we've already talked about a yep. little bit already. Uh, but he had some great additions like Racer X, which was a uh, pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, he mentioned so. Racer X. He mentioned Shotgun Messiah. Yeah, I think there was something else he mentioned in there that was something that we'd already put on a list that we were thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, so so that was pretty cool. Um, and Racer X leads me to speaking of Paul Gilbert, uh, Mr. Big just announced their farewell tour. Yeah, I saw that. Cool. They're they're doing their one last go round. Yeah, and they uh, got Nick Virg- Virgilio Virgilio, who's a member of Spock's Beard and played drums on Genesis final album Calling All Stations. He's going to be taking over Pat Torpy's duties as drummer for that tour, which I was like. Uh, I don't know. I, you know. Me being more of a prog guy, uh, Spock's beard is a little probably more in my wheelhouse. But like, uh, I got to see Spock's beard like live once, and you know, they're they're a great band. I thought if, if he was in Spock's beard, holy shit, he's a, he's a he's a good driver. I've only ever heard a couple <laughs> songs from him, but I I, yeah. I know what their deal is. They were yeah. I had this uh, uh I have this Metal Blade twentieth anniversary like ten CD box set, and there's a couple Spock's beard tracks on there. Huh? A ten CD box. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and if Genesis, you know called him up to play on their album that i mean you know, that says he, something yeah, to replace phil collins <laughs> you know uh and there's a new extreme video out with an album on the way which i thought was kind of cool that was a hell of a song uh yeah yeah it, i i guess i don't know what i was expecting but it was way heavier than i was right. thinking it was gonna be yeah i yeah. mean it still has it still has all the parts where you're looking at 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 nuno betancourt going what what the, what the hell are you doing right. how do you do that what <laughs> You magical elf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say I'm like no guitar player or anything, but yeah. but wow, sometimes you just yeah. look at it and you're just like, I don't get how you make that sound, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's a pretty astonishing guitar player, I think. Uh, he he just played at this year's Super Bowl with Rihanna. Yes, he did. So yeah, yeah. So he's getting around. Um, and and we went and saw Anthrax. It was so cool. That was a cool show. So we're oh, we're, yeah. we're, we're gonna brag a little bit. It was a short drive down to Omaha and. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of nice. Uh, Exodus yeah. was the opening band. Just slayed it. Oh, yeah. So good. Been a band for 40 years, and they haven't lost a step. Yeah, yeah. That was an excellent show. Um, and and now we're, we're going to go to Rocktemberfest in Minnesota. 
um, in September. That's which, pretty exciting. Which is a hair metal festival. So if anybody's out there listening, there's probably still time to get tickets and stuff like that. If you don't mind going, it's like an hour north of Minneapolis in a town called Hinkley. Um, but we're pretty excited about it. It's a uh, Queensryche and, you know, who we, we've covered we their Empire them, album. And we saw, and we've seen we them, saw before. them uh, with Skid Row, what was that, 2014, 2015? Yep, yep. And Kicks. And kicks. Who I didn't think we'd ever get to see live. No. Yeah. So, and we just covered them recently. Firehouse, um, who is on our list and has been a much requested Slaughter. artist. And Slaughter. And Tough. And Ted Poley. Resistant Bite. Sin. Brett Michaels. Yeah. No mm-hmm. snotch there. Uh, Orianthe, which I'm, as a guitar player, pretty excited about. Orianthe played guitar with Alice Cooper at one point, right? I, I'm that, not sure. That sounds right. She played with Michael Jackson for a while, so okay, yes, uh, so she, I do So she's that. pretty up there. Um, and Lita Ford, more on her in a moment. And Vixen, who we talked about recently, and Eric Martin featuring Trickster and Jet Boy. So th- this is going to be a super fun festival. We're, Eric we're, Martin featuring Trickster. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's how it's billed. <laughs> Mr. Biggs, Eric Martin. Mr. Biggs, Eric wow, Martin. He, yeah. That's kind I mean, of a twofer. <laughs> and it, um, boy, it must say something about the members of Trickster because, you know, Eric Martin plays with some right, high-profile right. players. So if he's like, yeah, these dudes are good enough to play with me, like, wow, yeah. okay then, yep. you know. So that would be pretty cool. Yeah, but but anyway, more on that in the future. Uh, I'm sure we'll 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 rant about that later. But uh, uh, but today we're talking about Lita Ford, who who now we get to see in September. So we're pretty yeah. excited about that. And her most successful album, just called Lita, um, released in February second, nineteen eighty eight, got to number twenty nine on the Billboard Top two hundred and went platinum. Produced four singles. And uh, Kiss Me Deadly, the big hit off of it, was listed as the 76th best hard rock song of all time by VH1. So, all right. That, so that, that there's a lot going on there. Uh, does this pass the hair metal smell test? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a hair metal classic, I would say. Um, it is surprising to me that there was four singles. Uh, yeah. Because the other oh, the other two, I I didn't know they were singles. Yeah, yeah, I didn't hear the other two on the radio much either. You know, but it's probably because the other two, right, dominated were just and so huge that it's like, when are we gonna play right. these other songs? Yep. <laughs> uh, Lita Rosanna Ford, which is her full name, was she was born in London, um, which is something I didn't know. I didn't know she was British. I always assumed she nope. was. She seemed very very American to me. Um, but her dad was British and her mom was Italian. Uh, she moved to the U.S. when she was in second grade and grew up in California. She was inspired by Richie Blackmore's guitar work in Deep Purple, which is like rad. And, nice pick. Uh, mm-hmm. Started playing when she was just 11. And her vocal range is mezzo-soprano. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's not a term we get to use a whole lot around here. No. <laughs> <laughs> we sound all Italian. <laughs> Very fancy. Uh, she was the lead guitarist for The Runaways at age 16, uh, which is the legendary all-female rock band from the late 70s that also had Joan Jett in it. Um, she was recruited by Kim Fowler. Uh, who Fowley. Had- Fowley? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I've got the name wrong. Sorry. That's all right. Who has a super interesting history. He worked for both Alan Freed and Barry Gordy. Those, which are two like those are music history Big names, names for sure. of the sixties. Uh, he produced a bunch of novelty songs, including Alley Oop, 
Yeah, Coach and he was in. I think he was briefly in one of the bands that's on the Nuggets box set. The first, the first uh, Nuggets box set. And I don't remember which band it is, or maybe he was a solo artist. I think he was a solo artist on it. Could have been. Yeah, he he's done a lot. He's a. I, I I'm kind of hitting some of the highlights, but like he's done so much, it's pretty crazy. Um, he worked with an early version of Slade, who we've talked about a lot, and he produced Soft Machine's first single, which I thought was nuts. I was like, you think about like going yeah. from, from Alley Oop to Soft Machine? To so- oh, all right. That's pretty weird. Uh, and he produced the Lancasters, who were an instrumental rock group featuring a young Richie Blackmore. So there's a little connection there, you know. Uh, he also produced and sang on a song with Gail Slopeman, who would later marry Frank Zappa. I was going to say, I know that a, name. <laughs> on, a, on, on a satire of Sonny and Cher. I've got, they, I got you, babe. They did a satire of, of oh, I've Got beautiful. You, Babe. Uh, he was credited for Hypophone on the Mothers of Invention's first album, Freak Out. Uh, when asked about this, Frank Zappa said, the Hypophone is his mouth because all that ever comes out of it is hype. <laughs> In no way does that surprise me, given the my limited Kim Fowley knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and he co-wrote songs with Kiss. I mean... Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he produced and co-wrote some of the Runaway stuff. But they mostly wrote their own music, actually, which is kind of cool. And they ended up severing ties with him in 1977. Um, yeah, there's some messed up stuff around there if you want to go dig into it. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Cherry Bomb was recently used in the first, uh, well, not recently, I guess now, in the, in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, so, right. So that, that, that movie's kind of been back in public consciousness again. Uh uh, the Runaways toured in the U.S. in support of uh, like headliner groups such as like Cheap Trick, Van Halen, Talking Heads. That wh- seems like a weird th- pairing. And Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. That seems like a less weird pairing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty eclectic list, though. You gotta, you gotta give it, it up to them. Um, and the Runaways, th- they did okay in the U.S., but they were huge in Japan, um, and so they had they had a pretty good career going on. Uh, but they ended up breaking up because Joan Jett wanted to take the band in more of a Ramones direction, uh, which would have been pretty co- yeah. cool, honestly. Uh, and Lita Ford and the drummer wanted to keep on going in the hard rock direction they'd already been doing. So there's a little bit of tension there. It's like, hey, what we got's working? Why mess it? Why mess with it? And you know, versus let's be more like the Ramones, which right. you know, boy, I'd have a hard you know that'd be a hard decision. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's tough. I would pick the Ramones, right? <laughs> but that's just me, because there's yeah. a there's a joy to banging out those just right. perfect and simple songs, right? But anyway, <laughs> uh, so so Lita Ford started her solo career. She signed with Mercury Records. She released a couple of albums that did okay, but nothing too big. Um, I was looking over those and I realized I don't know a single song on either of them. Yeah, I didn't either. Never. Yeah, I, I don't know how those just sank that. Yeah thoroughly other than and maybe being just ahead of the really big explosion of yeah. you know like the whole glam rock thing but i don't know yeah they're pretty highly regarded uh like they're they're held up as being they're they're pretty good records it's just that they didn't they didn't click with the right thing or something um and during, reed knows all about that yeah yeah <laughs> uh during this period she was also briefly engaged to tony iomi which i thought was kind of cool and he produced an album for her that's never been released. No kidding. Yeah, which I I would love to hear that, but apparently like they their breakup didn't go well and so oh. so we won't, we don't get to hear that. Maybe after one or both of them pass on or something like that, we'll get to hear that. Uh, okay. Well, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
then she signed with RCA and hired Sharon Osbourne to manage her and uh, came up with a more pop metal sound. Uh, she got to sing a duet with Ozzy and co-wrote a song with Nikki Six. You know, more on more on that stuff later. RCA and, uh, putting out rock albums. It I just know. Seems weird. <laughs> Granted, they put out the yeah. you know the Elvis Presley self-titled album, but still like yeah. RCA in the eighties. Yeah, it's so weird. It is pretty weird. Yeah, but the album Lita was born and it did great. Uh, musicians Don Nasov and Myron Grombacker uh, were the rhythm section for Pat Benatar. They joined uh, Lita Ford for the recording sessions, but uh, Charles Dalba and Tommy Caradona played drums and bass during the, the actual tour to promote the album. But what a group to get together for, for recording the album, you know? Yeah, Pat I mean, Benatar, that's, cool. that's, that's awesome. It's a platinum yeah. rhythm section, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of platinum, uh, it was produced by Mike Chapman. I was digging into him. Yeah. It turns out I'm more familiar with him than I thought I was. Yeah. He's got quite the. He's got quite the thing. I, I want to talk a little bit about Mike Chapman. Just you know, not to be confused with John Lennon's assassin, of course. But well, that's different. Mark. Uh, yeah, I know. So you know, it's all right. <laughs> no everybody. relation. <laughs> um, but he also produced the Sweet and Susie Quattro. Which you can totally hear if, you know... Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. I can tell that he produced a yeah, sweet album. he was the glam guy, essentially. Well, he just makes records that sound big. Yeah. He also did Parallel Lines for Blondie. Yep, that was the big one that I saw. And he did. Uh, he produced it, uh, that Nick Gilder song. Yep, yep. Uh, and, uh, and the, uh, um, Hot Child in the City. And it looked like he was a, a co-writer, at least, on Mickey. <laughs> yep, he did, yep. And The Knack. And, and the great, I want to kiss you all over. <laughs> and, uh, and Mud, which was a band that we recently talked about, who uh, they had a great song called Dynamite that I thought sounded very glammy and like sweet. Right. It, it turns out it was written for sweet, and the band rejected it. Uh, I heard it on the episode, uh, it was on the, uh, the last episode of uh, Doom Patrol. Which is a oh, which is a great okay. series and you know is worth checking out. But like uh, they had a moment where they, they played this song by Mud that totally sounds like a hair metal glam rock song, um, and that's why yeah, yeah. Um, and he and he also wrote the song Heart and Soul that Huey Lewis had a version of. Um, that was oh a big hit. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that one. That's yeah. So this oh, this his. guy this guy's got like all sorts of crazy credits. Um, I see some work with the Knack. Yeah, but he he was apparently quite a dictator. Uh, it seems like every band that worked with him didn't seem to do it for very long without getting sick of him. So, um, yeah. So there's a price to be paid for that genius. But like you know, but but band the guy. Somebody by the name of Doug Feger said said and quoted uh, uh, Mike Chapman is one of the bigger assholes that you'll ever meet on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. So there's that. Yeah. So that's like a whole thing. Yeah. But all of which to say, you you put all those pieces together. So she pretty much had a dream team working for her for this record. Very. I mean, that's just like, damn. Talk about putting together like a super group. Um, so she put it out. It did incredibly well. Uh, but her next album didn't do as good, which has become an ongoing theme, it seems like, in, in, in hair metal history. The funny thing is that one has... Uh, it has a song I actually know on it because I think it made the okay. radio. And there might have been a video. Well, there probably was a video, 1991. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah sure. Uh, that uh, uh, Shot of Poison song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, like, 90% certain there was a video. And uh, I remember hearing it on uh, on uh, 
that other rock station that we used to have for a little while in the early 90s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whose name I'm, ne- I'm their call yeah. letters I'm completely dropping, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, they deemed that the next one not as good uh, because it didn't sell as well because the record industry was apparently during that time seemingly run by accountants and salespeople. Um, and then she... In in the 1992 TV series Howie, starring Howie Mandel, Lita Ford was a regular guitarist for the house band, which I thought was a weird little... Uh, Yeah, that's bizarre. ...juxtaposition. Uh, And she did a few more things, um, but wasn't ultimately able to, like, recapture the momentum she had, so she went on a hiatus to raise her two sons. Um, And she didn't do anything with music from 1995 to 2009. See, I remember that, because, yeah, yeah, she got, like just went super quiet for a long time. And there was some interviews, uh, you know, that she had with, uh, I remember like VH1 uh-huh. in the late nineties, maybe even in the mid nineties. Uh, and she had always like indicated that stuff was being worked on, but just wasn't, yeah, nothing was being released or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but eventually she finally came back and when she did, she had a Stet Howland from wasp on drums, which he I thought also was cool. played drums for metal church for a little while. Okay, cool. And Bumblefoot from Guns N' Roses on guitar with her. Dude's a hell of a guitar He's player. A hell of a guitar player. Uh, second time I saw GNR, he was the guitar player, and yeah, yep. they he was good. Yeah, he was the guitar. The first time I saw him, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that was at the show. That the we same show. Yeah. Out. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, in 2016, Lita Ford released a Time Capsule which is a collection of songs she discovered on old analog tapes from the 80s featuring recordings she had made with Billy Sheehan, Gene Simmons, Bruce Kulick, Robin Zander, Rick Nielsen, Dave Navarro, and Jeff Scott Soto, who was in Ingve Malmsteen and Journey. Damn. So so she had, again, high-level collaborators. Um, and she was also a character in the Brutal Legend Video game. Do you remember that game? I have never played it. I've seen the yeah. name, but I don't really know anything about it. Oh man, it is a great game. It, I, I think you would probably love it. It starts out with Jack Black talking about um, uh, the different versions of Black Sabbath and stuff like that, and how much how much he loves Dio. Um, <laughs> but she, but in the game itself, like Ozzy's a character, and Lemmy's a character, and Lita Ford is a character in it. And oh so, right on. Um, like animated versions. Yeah, but it, all this stuff has got me thinking about like how. Uh, she's kind of a living legend in a lot of ways. I oh, mean, quite. You think about the, I mean, I mean, she's you know outside of the fact that she's definitely a pioneer for women in music, um, and she completely held her own. You, you don't find many singers who can play guitar like she does in this genre. Excellent point. I, I was noticing that because like there's no other credit credited guitar player on that album. No, like, she did all of the guitar leads she did and all the guitar, guitar parts. Yeah, which is you know. Uh, all the other bands that we've talked about and all the other stuff in hair metal, I mean, there's, you know, that you have like the singer that plays rhythm guitar sometimes, but you always have the iconic lead singer and the iconic lead guitar player. And she was both. I know. That's, hey, well Which is done. kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what are your memories with this album? I never had this album. Uh, I mean, I've, I've uh-huh. ended up like, streaming it before and listening to it and stuff but i i, I knew the two big songs mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. was the sum total of my knowledge of this album so yeah uh it's it's still a fresh one to me which is yeah yeah uh, kind of weird because a lot of this stuff i'd heard a lot more of before and i didn't realize how little i had heard of her until we dug yeah. in to do this <laughs> yeah yeah 
Yeah, and for me, it was uh, uh, the this one I knew pretty well because uh, um, when I was in community college, when it came out, I was at, during the summer working at the floor to ceiling store. <laughs> which, oh, right which, on. Is, which is an early version of like a Home Depot or Menards or whatever or Lowe's or whatever your 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 store. It was like a precursor for that before that really took off and led to a bunch of box stores. Um, so I was working in this, and they were they were getting ready to move stores, and so I'd spend part of the time working in the functional store. Um, you know, doing things. And then I would spend the other half of the time working in like this big shitty empty building that what they were remodeling to become the new store. And so had a cassette player. Yeah. And while they were playing and they played radio in there the whole time. So I was swinging a sledgehammer, knocking stuff down and, uh, kiss me deadly played all the time, like once an hour. I would say because it was in heavy rotation, and so I got to know that song really well. Yeah, I'd um, imagine. You know, and and so I went out and bought the tape, you know, because I I, I was hearing it so much. <laughs> and I remember that and uh, uh, Midnight Oil, like when the beds are burning. That was the other big song. Oh man, that song was huge. Yeah. Even as somebody who just mostly sat around and watched MTV, that that video. Yeah. Was on all the freaking time. Yeah, I have a weird mental association with those two songs because each one of them would play every hour. <laughs> Damn. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so so I have a lot of memories during that. that I associate that with being in Fort Dodge, Iowa, swinging a sledgehammer in a big empty building's wrecking shit, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that works. (laughs) Uh, Let's get into the album. Um, All right. At a svelte nine songs and 40 minutes, 28 seconds. Love it. It's hard not to like something so concise. Um, I was noticing that as I was listening. My first thought was just, this album is just blowing right by. Yeah. Yeah, she, they waste no time. No, it's lean and mean. Uh, yeah, and, and it has big old '80s drums on it everywhere. Holy <laughs> shit, does it ever! Some of those yeah. snare drums are like the size yeah. of a right. whole fucking room. You know? like, <laughs> so you're playing that snare in a church over there. Uh, so we start out with the first song, "Back to the Cave," um, which was the second single. And this was not a song that I'd have, I've ever heard on the radio. Nope. Uh, which So it feels weird to me a bit. Um, this song reminded me of uh, Abracadabra by Steve Miller, um, mostly in the bass line. Uh, I don't know why. Oh, but, um, I didn't pick up on that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I see that uh, 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 Bob Ezrin's son was one of the co-writers on this song. Is it Bob Ezrin's son? I, yes, I it wondered is. about that. David Ezrin. He okay. died in 2006 or 2008, one of those two years. Yeah, I kept noticing because uh, he's listed as one of the songwriters on on a couple different things. Too. Yeah, the first and, one and, I saw, I saw when I first saw Ezra in there, I'm like, did Bob Ezra? I know, same here. It's yeah. like she also got Bob. So Ezrin. I kind of had to have a moment and go up there and <laughs> yeah. like look at the credits real carefully, and be like, no, David Dave Ezrin. Ezrin. Okay, yeah, but I wasn't sure if they were related, so that's a, that's a good tidbit. Um, I said, I'm assuming that this yeah. uh, back to the cave has nothing to do with Plato's cave allegory. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> Maybe you know, just a stab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, you know, my take on it was that I, th- I think it's just about just getting back to basics again, like uh, you know, in a getting primitive and stuff. Um, Lead has a has a nice solo on this one. Um, it has a as a pleasant, friendly, loping groove to get us into the spirit of things. You I know? thought the intro was pretty good too. Her guitar yeah. intro was pretty rad. It is pretty rad. Um, th- then we go to Can't Catch Me, which is a co-write with Lemmy. Yeah, I Which saw is, that. That was sticking out. And so yeah. I, I had high expectations going into the song, and it did not disappoint. Yeah, it, I was going to say, you can kind of tell, because it starts out rocking, and the phrasing reminds me totally of yes. a Motorhead song. And it rocks harder <laughs> than like most all the other songs on the record. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, and this is a song about Lita being a badass, basically, which I thought, you know, I'm I'm charmed by that. Um, I always love when somebody's willing to do uh, a solo on a song and not have a, yeah. a rhythm guitar dubbed into the background. Right. Yeah. You listen to that, that's just her wailing in the bass yeah. in the in the rhythm section, yeah. Yeah, the, trucking along. It's I, it's lean. Yeah, I've definitely I've, I've flagged this because I, I think it has a really interesting bridge section that almost gets kind of Pink Floydy in in a way. They yeah, she covers but, some ground here. Yeah, but but Lita kind of shreds, uh, and the song chugs in the yes, in it sections. does. Uh, but I, I wanted to play that that Pink Floydy section. So here. part that could totally imagine like roger waters like you know yes with, very you much know. so well and when it when it gets act uh, to the point where she's actually soloing too that whole arrangement there does feel very like late 70s floyd yeah 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 so i i liked that song a lot and once again yeah just i love that like there's like a, a live take there isn't there it sounds like it yeah because you know that that run through just everybody's so locked in, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of overdubbing that there like right. at all. Right, and this was pre click track days, so yep. So you just had to go. <laughs> uh, and then uh, next up, we have Blueberry. Uh, um, this is the shortest song on the album at three minutes and forty eight seconds. Um, yeah, I didn't really have too much to say about this one. In all honesty, uh, I mentioned uh, this one. I think is actually one of the more massive snare drums on the whole album. Okay, if only because yeah. <laughs> uh, the arrangement affords a lot of room to the drums in it. So when that at the beginning of the song, even before you get vocals, that that drum, you're just like, Jesus Christ, how much more large can you make a drum sound? <laughs> Good lord! And then I was actually yeah. kind of impressed that. Uh, the only other like note I had on it was when they go to the solo. It's kind of cool that. They put the guitar like way back in the mix, mm -hmm. which is kind of mm -hmm. odd because it's clearly the solo section. And yeah, and you know, a lot of the other songs on here, you got that front and center big yeah. shiny guitar solo, and this one they mixed it back, which doesn't seem like something that Chapman would have done. But yeah, hey, right on for taking that left turn it's, there. I appreciate it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it creates it more of a texture kind of a yeah. thing. Uh, and then we've got the big hit, uh, "Kiss Me Deadly." Uh, this was the first single. It hit number 12 on the charts and, and, and like I said, number 76 on the best hard rock songs of all time on VH1. Um, and those opening lyrics, I went to a party last Saturday night. I didn't get laid. I got in a fight. Uh-huh. It ain't no big thing. That's, that's it's a fantastic up, that's, opening. That is up there with lyrics oh. to start a song. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a great set of lyrics. Yeah. You know, and the fact that it is a woman singing them is just like sort of like extra, yep. like, you know, punchy, you know, it's like, you know, wow, Lita's really a badass. Um, 
And this song was written by Mick Smiley. This was, yeah, I, I actually, I spent a whole bunch of time trying to see if I could find other interviews with this guy, and there's just not a lot out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, he wrote this and one other song ever. Yeah. And it was uh, that song, what's the name of it again? Magic. It's magic from Ghostbusters, the one yeah. that, that plays after after Walter Peck and the EPA shut down the containment yeah. grid and all the, all, the, all, the, all the ghosts are going crazy. Yeah, it plays that song, Magic. Yeah. Yeah, which was never really a hit or anything like that, but is a staple in like you know. I think Absolutely. everybody everybody remembers that scene. Yeah, and I and he did he wrote some other stuff, but it was like with his own projects and stuff. And, he, yeah, he had yeah. like like a like a band of his yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah, but it's that's a weird career because like you know he he had like one huge thing and then one kind of big thing and then like just just decided he was done and then that was about it. Yeah. Uh, um, he got tracked down for an interview with Medium. This is the one I found. Okay. And he literally said, I don't want to be known. Okay. Wow. He, I, I'm not as enamored of my accomplishments as some other people would be. He's like, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of the things I've done. I'm just wow. not interested. I'm just He's like the Thomas Pinchon of, of songwriting. Clearly. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was perfectly nice. What the guy said is that it was a great interview, and he mm-hmm. was perfectly nice about it. It's just that. Yeah, he's just like, look, dude. Yeah, I had these. He talks about like uh, what it was like to hear his song in the Ghostbusters. He got to go mm-hmm. to a uh, a pre screening for cast and crew, and mm-hmm. was talking about how cool it was. He goes, "It's weird because when it hit on the screen, it like it felt like I had written this song for this movie." Mm-hmm. And I mean, I didn't, but just the way it was cut in was awesome. And he just had nothing but great things to say about it. And then that that's that's just sort of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Lita has a great shreddy solo on Kiss Me Deadly. And, oh, absolutely. And, and, and I know we've all heard this song a bunch of times, but I, but I feel like it's, it, and she plays into the fade out, which I thought was kind of cool. So. I mean, yeah, that's a great solo. <laughs> then we've got Falling In and Out of Love, which is the fourth single from the album and is the co-write with Nikki Six. It closes side one. Yeah. And this is another kind of groovy rager um, with Lita spitting fire in spots and soloing her ass off. There's a cool call and response section at the end. And it's um, not exactly a ballad. It's kind of got the ballad pace, but it's right. not quite... Yeah. Exactly one. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred times better than the Bon Jovi song In and Out of Love. Yeah. But I, that's a that's a low bar to clear, so whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we've got Fatal Passion. Um and this one has a really cool bridge section that Lita gets a little bit psychedelic on. Um this is another one that I, I flagged for wanting to play. Bonus points for having Cowbell yeah. on the song too. Yeah, nice.
know, something about that. Maybe I just really liked that section. I thought it was kind of cool for, for, you know. It's one of the. It, it, it's a. It's a, another one of the things I enjoy about the vinyl era because you can tell that song was supposed to be like the lead off song to side two. Right. When, yeah. when you think about the flow of this record, you can tell that the songs were placed with an A and a B side in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is definitely a female empowerment song. There's like bad relations stuff that she's just over now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and she might even be getting some revenge. It was kind of, it was kind of like, you know, and outside of that weirdo middle section, it's like kind of one of the least produced songs on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, like we yeah. established with Chapman, he likes to make things that sound very big and right. Hi, this is going to be on the FM radio. And this song, even though it's got some production stuff on it, is leaner than the rest of them. Yeah, which is kind of nice, especially for a song called Fatal Passion. I mean, yes. (laughs) Uh, Then we've got Under the Gun, which is even more psychedelic. And it's it's the only song credited solely to Ford on the album. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, this has some synths going on. And some delayed vocals and some huge sounding backing vocals too. I mean, hell yeah to that. I, I, yeah, I, I'm a big sucker for that. And we're only one song yeah. into the second side, and we've slowed down already. Yeah, because you know, I mean, once again, it's not a ballad, but it's it's right. it's got the slower pace to it. Right. Yeah, I think I think you're right about the whole flow. Yeah, this is a pacing song where it's sort of like, mm-hmm. hey, let's just take a moment and reflect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is another bad relationship song. Um, it's probably the longest solo on the album too, on the, and on the long fade out. And, uh, I don't know, this, this is probably like excessive, but let's play that fucker. Let's do it. Okay. excessive again but like i just i don't know i'm I'm still being a guitar player i'm a fan of the long guitar solo sometimes so understandable yeah i mean you can't do that like every song of course no (laughs) uh then we've got broken dreams which is uh at five minutes and 12 seconds long is the longest song on the album um and this is the one where uh ezrin was listed as one of the songwriters and that's where i had my confusion uh, yeah i could see that yeah uh, because it does sound kind of epic 
Um, but David Ezrin, he, he really lays down the gauzy synths here. And I love gauzy synths. Yes. And <laughs> another chill song again. Another, yeah, it is. So like we've, we've like yeah. descended into this chill area for the B side after we mm-hmm. rocked out to start it, you know? Yeah, and she uses the phrase uh, "boulevard of broken dreams." Yeah, I was having a minute with that too. So I was just like, "Wait a second, wait a second. because I was trying to remember. That I thought there was like a newer song with that in it. And Green Day. Yeah, because I'm not yeah. that familiar with Green Day. Yeah, um, but then yeah. I was like, "Yeah, that's right. I wonder if they knew about this." And yeah, so deca- I dug decades a little, before Green well, Day. And then I dug a little further, and there's also a song from like 1933 called "The Boulevard of Broken Dreams." Okay. So. Okay. It's been a thing for a long time. We're closing in on a century now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went down a little rabbit hole looking up that uh, the, the 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 origin of that phrase too, because it struck me as like, wait, where did this come yeah. from? As like, I didn't know it was. I that had old. a minute with it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 worth uh, going down a Google hole for, I guess, if you're interested. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some more epic soloing. There's some cool chord movement stuff in this song too. Uh, my my takeaway from this is this is probably the most musically adventurous song on the album. Oh, easily. Yeah, because it. It goes through a lot of movements and stuff like that. Um, and then we close out with the other big hit, Close My Eyes Forever, which was the third single. Got to number eight on the charts. Um, I'm surprised it wasn't the first single, honestly. Kind of, yeah. I mean, well, you have Ozzy with you doing is, a duet. Don't you lead with that? <laughs> it's kind of a tough call because, you know, after uh, after Ultimate Sin, he kind of dipped in the U.S. for a little bit. Okay. And this... Uh, I'm looking. I, I looked at the song, and uh, the song came about by Lita Ford and Ozzy Osbourne in the studio getting drunk together and both mm-hmm. writing the lyrics to a song. Uh, and I have to assume it's because Sharon was visiting yeah. the studio. Because my first thought was, did they record? Did he record "No Rest for the Wicked" at the same studio that she did Lita? That Lita, because I was trying that to work out sense. why yeah. they would have been together. No, they were recorded at different studios. Oh, they were just uh, hanging out. Yeah, so he was clearly just hanging out. Okay, because this this whole album, her hers was recorded at Record One, I believe it's called, uh-huh. and his was not at Record One. So he must have been there with Sharon, just like hanging out. And okay, you mean not nineteen eighty seven? Ozzy was really drunk. No, shocker. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so it's just kind of interesting that it came about because it wasn't even that they had yeah. planned for a collaboration. They both just got wasted in the studio, and it happened. Yeah, which is, yeah, talk about an organic process. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I hadn't heard this song in a while. Um, so I was really struck by the uh, the reverse delayed guitar stuff in the background on the intro. That that, that was like some, yeah. that was some pretty, ear, pretty good ear candy. Um, and this is a quality ballad, I must say. Um, Absolutely it is. Uh Lita and Ozzy, they really sell this song. And I started thinking about it, and this is kind of up there for me in terms of duets. I mean, this and, yeah. like, like, what, Islands in the Stream? You know? <laughs> <laughs> As like, I'm, tra- I'm trying to think of, like, you know, duets that, like, you know, have this kind of this level of... Under you know, motherfucking pressure. Yeah, yeah, good call, good call. <laughs> that, that one, yeah, that that probably trumps this one now that and I think course, about it. And of course, Jagger and Bowie's dancing in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. That's not on the list of great duets. No, that that is a duet. It is a duet, <laughs> but it's definitely not a great one. Yeah, um, and the harmonized guitar solo. In this, I'm such a sucker for. I mean, I, I've said that probably many times during the course. And of they this watched podcast, the video but, for this on Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Oh wow, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. 
Um, there's also in uh, 2016, Lita did a version of this. She was on tour with uh, Hailstorm, and she did a duet with Lizzie Hale of oh, Hailstorm, cool. um, and that's on YouTube. And it's well worth checking out. Um, we'll we'll put it on our Facebook page after after we put this up there. Um, it's 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 pretty cool to see because they even have like dual double neck guitars in the video. So oh, that's rad. <laughs> so seeing two chicks like singing and playing double neck guitars is just sort of like okay, this is this is this is good metal <laughs> how you feel about talking about some vinyl let's do it <laughs> all right so our history lesson is going to be pretty brief today <laughs> um the whole thing is there are uh 59 press editions of this album between you know wow. cassette and cd and oh, okay. most of them are cds Okay. Uh, okay. Well, there was the big wave of LPs in 1988 when it came out. It was released pretty much globally, everywhere, every market. Like even the Philippines has a pressing. South Korea has pressings. Argentina. Uh, yeah. So even more present than some of the other albums we've talked about. Uh, and then there's a little there's there's a, a round of reissues in 1989, but not for like the U.S., but just for additional markets. And then it goes real quiet. It was reissued on CD in 1992, but only in Canada. Weird. And then there was an unofficial release in 2002 in Russia. Uh, Okay. And and, uh, then uh, Rock Candy, a UK label, uh, they did a reissue of the CD. And then the US, uh, Dreamland Records, which I believe is... uh, maybe Lita's subsidiary label from RCA. Uh, they reissued on CD in the U.S. in 2006, so that was the first okay. time since 88 it had been issued in the U.S. And then uh, in Europe, they... That uh, probably would have coincided with her comeback. I believe it would have, yes. Um, uh, and then uh, Steamhammer Records, uh, a label out of the uh, U.K. and Europe, they did an LP uh, reissue in 2013, Okay. And that's it. Wow. So it's it's not super available even okay. still. I mean, you can probably get that 2006 CD still, like if you were to sure. order it from somewhere. And it probably sure. isn't terribly expensive. But, yeah, if you want it on wax, you got to buy an original. And those okay. aren't even, like, I don't think they're super expensive. Uh, uh, I think mine's from South Korea, actually. Oh, yeah, you got a South Korean pressing? I'm pretty sure. Right yeah. on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I uh, this is one of the few that I didn't own on wax that Brian had on right, wax yeah. or, uh, this time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just to be clear, Aaron is definitely the, the more vinyl supporter of, of the program. <laughs> it's not a point of pride. It's a point of lameness. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so it's just not super around anymore. Oh. So maybe in a mm-hmm. few years here we'll get some new stuff. And... Let's talk about some gear. <laughs> gear it. Yeah, and this is relatively short as well. I had a feeling that was going to be the case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lita Ford endorsed musical instrument manufacturer BC Rich. I had a um, feeling that was. Yeah. And, yeah, and she exclusively used several of the brand's guitars, most notably the Warlock, but also the Mockingbirds and Monkey Trains, which is like one of my favorite names for a Monkey guitar. Monkey Train. Ever. That's a great name. <laughs> What kind of guitar is that? It's a monkey train. Monkey train. <laughs> uh, she also played some Gibson SGs, uh, the Slammer by Hamer Explorer, which is also she. She has a thing for like well-named guitars, the Slammer by Hamer Explorer. 
I love that. And she has a Taylor GS8 acoustic guitar that she plays. Ooh. Um, she plays the Marshall JCM 2000 DSL 100 dual super lead two channel 100 watt guitar amp head. Well, um, she doesn't like effects much. She doesn't play. She doesn't. She uses some, but she says in interviews that she hates them. She she really wants to just plug into an amp and just. Play. I mean, it makes sense when you listen to a lot of her yeah. tones. I mean, there's you know some overdrives or yeah. distortions, but that's about it. Yeah, she does sound like she's just plugged into a Marshall most of the time, and so. then it's just dialed into that sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah and and it's turned up really loud in the studio and just wailing. Um, in uh, 2018, uh, Lita Ford and Jim Cara started Lita Ford Guitars, creating guitars and experiences for fans and players. So I found that little tidbit. Cool. Yeah. Other than that, not not much in the way of gear. Um, yeah, I don't think she's really experimented with gear all that much. I think she found a sound that she liked uh, probably during her Runaways days, um, you know, modified it when she went into a solo career and stuff like that and kind of stuck with it. She's just... She's just a rocker. Yep. Found the thing she liked and stuck with it. Yeah. But, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll chat with you next time. Catch you later, everybody. (laughs)